Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Hello and welcome to the local culture show on Wellington Access Radio. My name is Solomon. And I'm his trusty sidekick, Toby. And today we are joined in the studio by a Wellington-based filmmaker who goes by Molly Doyle. How are you doing, Molly? Good. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Now, what is it that you do? I understand you're primarily a filmmaker, but you also do photography and a bit of painting and some activism on the side. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I do all of that, uh, but uh, mainly filmmaking at the moment. Um, mm. I am studying environmental science and art history, but that's sort of like a side gig at the moment where I uh, make my films. Nice. Your conjoint degree is your side gig. Yeah. You must be very, very busy. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Yet somehow you go on a lot of camping trips, it would seem. Yeah, most weekends I try to get out into nature, enjoy, um, yeah, I guess that's part of the photography part as well when I film it. So, yeah. Mm. So for context, you two met while doing the same art history paper? No. None of that is true. No. Oh. <laughs> we met, how did we meet, Toby? Uh, through Hugo. Through Hugo, a mate. Um, Mate Hugo, Hugo. Of, of the shelves fame. He will be on the show eventually. Awesome. Oh, he has been as in a host his, in already. His, in his own right. Yeah, yeah. But as a uh, as an interviewee, mm. he will be on eventually. Awesome. But um, no, I think he, uh, either you approached him or he approached you about scoring yeah, your so upcoming film. Yeah. Um, that, so hasn't, that hasn't been made yet. It's, it's been made. It's just oh, in it the has? process of editing and um, okay. finalization. And just, uh, yeah, Hugo will be scoring it. He's a talented composer. Nice. So, where did you get this uh, this art history thing from? I'm not sure. I th- I thought that was what you just, told me. You just made it up. <laughs> Looks like I did. Anyway, Molly, you've been involved in several self-directed film projects over the years. One of which is called Comic, and I understand it's been featured in many international film festivals. And you also have a documentary about a teen acting program, Rada Studios. Um. And I understand you also have several unreleased projects that are in film festivals, like submitted to film festivals, but can't be seen as a result of that. Yes, Is I, that right? Yeah. So I've got a short film coming out called Sea Castles um, about a young girl learning about coastal degradation in her local community up in Paikokariki. And um, another short film in the works, um, which is in pre-production called Hetty's Elderly Hour, about a local swimming pool and it touches on Alzheimer's disease and um, community engagement with people um, mm. with, yeah, Alzheimer's. Okay. Um, going back to the very start of your life, do you remember what role films played for you as a child? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Miramar, so I was sort of surrounded by the creation of films like Peter Jackson lived over the hill and then my parents are in the industry and dad's at Weta, so like I've always grown up um, sort of more observing the creation of films themselves rather than being in love with watching them. Ah, so you're an industry plant. Oh, I, know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I wouldn't say that, but... <laughs> Do you remember what were some of your favourite movies, the stuff you enjoyed watching? I was... I love Disney Channel. Uh, yeah, I, I watched and Nicole, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. 
Um, I sort of tried to watch as all the stuff my brothers watched as well, though. Like, I mm. kind of aspired to be cool and watch, like, Naruto and, like, all of all of those sort of shows. But I, yeah, I'd say Hannah Montana was a go-to as a child. Okay. Um, Hannah Montana, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what sort of film projects did your parents work on or what do they do on the sets? Um, my dad's a VFX artist, so he mm. um, worked in the sort of... VFX, or he did work in the VFX department at Weta Digital. Um, mm. Yeah, I think one of his first films was like Avatar and I don't know, Planet of the Apes and worked on all those types of projects. So wow. they were like large scale, massive budget films and stuff. And Did you see much of him actually working on that? Um, I, when I was younger, you were allowed to go into the building and sort of like walk around, but I didn't see that like making, obviously I wasn't interested in it. I was more interested in the food in the um, kitchen upstairs in the buildings, but... Yeah, no, it was, it was a cool space. I, I occasionally popped on set and um did some extra work in like The Hobbit and stuff. So oh. I did, yeah, I did get to go on set and sort of experience the environment. Okay. That's interesting. How did you transition to actually doing filmmaking yourself? What was your first experience with like operating a camera? So in intermediate, me and my mates used to create our own shorts all the time. We used to make like music videos, like our favourite Taylor Swift songs and stuff, which was pretty groovy. And then in high school... I did media studies and um, I heard about a competition called the Roxy Five. So I put together a short film for that and we ended up winning um, a part of the competition. We got to recreate the short film. Um, we filmed it in the Wadarapa and um, all the post-production was done at like Park Road Post and stuff and it was a massive mm. budget to recreate wow. it. And from that I sort of... Uh, so was that a fishy tale? Yeah, fishy tale. Okay. Yeah, starring my two like eight-year-old cousins at the time. And what was the plot of the original film? Did the original film also feature your cousins? Yeah, it did. So it was this, it was the same story. They just recreated it with mm. a pretty decent budget and got a crew to come over and film it. Um, but yeah, no, the plot followed my little cousin um, being taunted by her older brother about a chocolate fish, and he was like, "I found them in the dam because they live on a farm." And it's her story of um, overcoming her older brother being a bit of a dick and um, mm. learning to not give a shit about chocolate fish anymore. It's pretty silly, but they enjoyed the film, so I got to recreate it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. What was it like to see your little short film recreated as a proper-looking film? It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, th I think if that hadn't have happened, I don't think I would be as obsessed with making films as I am now than I was before. But, um, yeah, no, it was pretty eye-opening as well to be able to go into Park Road Post and work with these Oscar-winning producers and stuff and recreate mm. my silly little short film about chocolate fish. Yeah. I assume that would have got you some pretty good connections as well from yeah. quite early on. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, really lucky and that side of things. Mm. So what project came next? Was it comic that came after that or was there stuff in between? Yeah, so during high school I made a couple of films. I worked on like 48-hour film festival mm. kind of stuff. But when I, I left school a year early and went into university and um, during that time I joined School Strike for Climate and I ran the media and comms. So during that year of 2019 I produced so many videos and like um, – yeah, short films for the organisation and for other organisations. And that sort of spurred into uh, more, my yeah, my, I guess my love for, like, creating the the storytelling content of, um, yeah, sparked and 
kind of flowed into comic, I guess. Comic was a f- originally a 48-hour film and then we recreated it mm. again. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, it's a weird timeline in my head. Like, I don't think of it as, like, this came first because I feel like they're all sort of intertwined yeah. as, yeah, the films, you know, they're, they're made then they're released, like, a year later and you make other stuff in between. Could we talk mm. more about the 48-hour film festival? Yeah. Uh, because, uh, as I understand it, you get given a, a brief of some sort. Mm-hmm. so that you can't just obviously make a film and then submit it. Uh, what, what was the brief you were given for that? We were given uh, superhero as a genre, ref- I think as reflection, as a um, like a, a thing you needed in a film. Oh, yeah, we an, got that as and well. And an object, but I can't remember what that is. We ended up coming up with the superhero film about a young girl's comic book club overcoming gender stereotypes. And, um, yeah, they rewrite their own comic that's sort of like... Yeah, challenges challenges the stereotypes in these worlds that they're so in love with. But the mm. version I would have watched online is one that you, uh, it was like a shot for shot remake, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So we we used a lot of the original shots from the actual film, but we, re- like we had during forty eight hours. It's pretty pretty intense. And I, I watched it and I thought, there's no way they made this in yeah yeah forty eight hours. They're, they're, they definitely cheated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, so yeah, so there's two versions online. There's the original version and then there's a the remade. But um. They're not too different, but yeah, definitely had a bit more time editing the second one. Okay. So where did the whole comic idea come about? I understand it has a bit of a subtext of, you know, these female characters trying to find non-gender stereotype roles and they're really struggling and they're writing a comic. Is comics something that you're interested in? Is that why you came up with that? Yeah, well, when I was younger, I used to love comic books and like, I don't think I've ever really read a comic book that has a, a superhero that I sort of like aspire to be like. A lot of them, you know, they are male heroes with these, you know, mm. great, you know, male orientated stories and, you know, they're fighting all these, you know, creatures and stuff. But I, yeah, there hasn't really been a, a female led superhero that um, sort of challenges those stereotypes and tropes in the comic books. So, I guess we took that idea and we're like, okay, let's let's uh, use this as a concept, chuck some of our characters into this world, and what would they do? Um, mm. Yeah. So is it is it exploring um, like how difficult it can be to actually create prominent female roles that don't just end up falling into the same old stereotypes? Yeah. Because I mean, it's not it's not hard to, you know, come up with a female main character and shoehorn it in, but to actually come up with something that's unique and that doesn't just follow on from the tropes that we're all used to. Yeah, can be a challenge, right? Yeah, exactly. And also we wanted to include the history of comic books into the film itself. Tell us about the quote that was at the beginning of the... I wish I could remember it word for word. but I've it got talks... it here. Well, yeah, read it out, well, please. Not word for word, but there was a quote at the start of the film before anything plays, which is the book code of 1963, where it sort of says that the use of women in comics is discouraged and... I think that's the gist of it. Yeah. Disappointing, They right? shouldn't be given too much... Prominence yeah. over other characters. It also said something about uh, they shouldn't be drawn uh, in a way that emphasizes what was it? feminine, feminine qualities. qualities. Yeah. yeah. Nineteen sixty-three, long time ago, a long but time still. Ago, but I mean, you know, our, not maybe not parents, but our grandparents. You know, that's the stuff they grew mm. up with. And yeah, I mean, it's not. It's really not that long ago if you think about no, it. And I mean, some of our parents will have been alive when that was published. Exactly, and I mean, we still see the sex, sexualization of female superheroes today. So, I I wouldn't say you know that much has changed since. Do you think mm. there is any place for 
sexualization of uh, superheroes? I think there's definitely... I think in our media, we've only ever really consumed female characters that have their tits out and they're sexualized and they're written by men. Mm. I think, you know, there's definitely a time and a place where a creator can make something, but I think it would be really awesome for future generations and the current generation that we have now growing up to be able to see females, female characters that don't lead by their bodies. And mm -hmm. I think I think it would be really cool to have what men have in these films and like, yeah, embrace the awesome, like intelligent superheroes and, you know, use their wits and, you mm. know. I, I guess the whole point of uh, superheroes as a genre is that they're using powers that are so far beyond our natural human bodies. Exactly. But but if but if uh, if you have a character whose whose power is just that she's got, you know, yeah, huge tits or something, it's not really it's it's not it's not sort of going beyond the sort of carnal, exactly, uh, sort of basic human level, right? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. I assume most writers like you would advocate for the creation of strong female characters, but in your film, it seems like they succumb to their own self doubt and. Sorry to give spoilers, but they end up burning their comic, or one of them burns a page in the comic. Yeah. So in 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 the short film comic, um, the character uh, played by Lucy um, Spence, incredible uh, local actress, um, her character becomes a villain and sort of like falls into the trope so often seen. And um, it's meta. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. So Gala, the other character, comes comes through and burns it, and is like, "Nah, we're not." We're not um, putting up with this. I guess comic in itself isn't necessarily like I, I've always felt the story ends kind of rather open. Um, I think there would be a lot more to it if we had time to continue, and that's why I've written it into a TV series. Um, ah, well, you rarely have continued it. In yeah, that we case. have. Yeah, quite different to the um, the short film itself, but we've taken the cons. I've taken the concept and developed it into a series. And um, follow, it follows a teen uh, comic book club in the Wadadap, based in the Wadadapa, in a rural community. And talk, yeah, it really it, it, like it explores the genre a lot more. So, I mean, comic as the film sets, I don't think dives enough into um, what I would really want to explore in a film like that because it's so short. But um, yeah. What What are you intending to explore with the series that you couldn't in the short film? Uh, a lot. So I, I like the communicate like so the film the tv series takes place in a high school and basically it's how these characters overcome their own um sort of perception of where they belong in writing for comic books um this is set in the 70s so of long when that quote was mm. um sort of released that's sort of the environment they grew up in like that was dc's um comic book code saying this is how they should be written Ooh. so these girls are obviously like in this world where they're sort of looked down upon in this space. Um, but yeah, it's them overcoming and working through. However, they do get a little bit caught up in the comic book and there's some like time shifting and stuff. So it's, mm. yeah, there's a lot more to it than the short film. And I understand you pitched this to Netflix. I did. I, I was really lucky to be a part of a program um, run by Lane Street Studios, the new film studios opening up in the heart um, called the Creative Business Program. And um, throughout the, I think it was a six or eight week course, um, we 
uh, developed pitches and pitched towards some pretty incredible um, film companies. Mm. Okay. Um, your newer films, like comic, are a lot more attached to wider social issues than early ones like A Fishy Tale. Yeah. And you were saying that for a long time you were making short films for organizations as part of climate activism during yeah. high school. And I'm wondering, do you think those experiences in your early filmmaking days influenced the sort of content that you would write yourself? Yeah, totally. I mean, my, my new film, Sea Castles, is based around coastal erosion. And um, I, I actually wrote that short film in the end of 2019 when I was sort of finishing up my time in the school strike movement. Um, I, like, I, I fell in love with the idea of storytelling and using film to talk about social issues. Um, so, I, yeah, I wrote that film. I pitched it to a um, funding body. I didn't get the funding for that, but um, over the last few years I'd saved up enough money to make it and I was like, oh, okay, well, fund it myself. I feel like it's an important story that needs to be told. Mm. Okay. I suppose you have a perspective from both sides of the situation. Do you, uh, do you have an opinion on, on what is a better way to convey messages about social issues? Is, you know making a film about something better or different to giving a speech about something and in what ways do you think? I guess being on both sides of the um, sort of spectrum, I I personally, when I was in the activism space, I, you're kind of working in an echo chamber of people who have the same beliefs as you. And it's such a polarised area that, you know, you're either shouting at other people and you're not really like bridging the gap and having conversations where I find uh, bringing these issues into film um, opens opens the floor for different types of conversations with larger communities and groups of people. Mm. Um, that's from my experience, but I understand, you know, for a lot of people it's not the same. But, yeah, I think there's a time and place for both um, activism and filmmaking. And yeah. I mean, the two, I mean most films these days are inherently political yeah um, yeah okay do you feel like you have yourself been swayed on social issues by art do you find yourself influenced by other films about things that you should care about oh totally i i mean growing up i lot watched a lot of documentaries and i watched a lot of um tv shows and i think yeah, oh, yeah. I think every uh, media in general, everything is everyone's swayed by what what they watch and what well, they're consuming. What is the most dramatic change of opinion that you've had as the result of a piece of art? Oh, that's a good question. Um, moment of silence. Um, uh, it is a tough question. I think uh, lots of like, like activists. Um, like political demonstrations and they put like a piece of artwork out on the street. There's been lots of like um, climate change based ones where they'd uh, collect a bunch of rubbish that they've found and build a sculpture or something. And I, I, I think it was Greenpeace who put together this massive whale built out of um, rubbish that they'd found in the ocean. Mm. And I think, you know, obviously they put it in like, it was, I think it was in London or something. And yeah, a lot of people would stop and think and mm. but that that type of artwork affects me the most okay have you had much feedback about stuff like comic have people come to you and said hey i really like this 
for this or that reason? Yeah, so I did an interview with Rubber Monkey, um, like one of their blog type of interviews for Women's Day, and I got a ton of emails from people saying that they really enjoyed my films and the stuff in my article that they'd, I, they'd written, mm. which is really odd because I feel like back in 2019 when I was involved in the climate space, I only got negative interaction. So like <laughs> putting putting and speaking my mind and like putting content out in different forms, you get very different like, yeah, reactions from people. Only negative? I There was definitely some well, positive pre- Presumably stuff, from, from people of our age, it would be largely positive. Totally, totally. You mean from, from the boomers and, yeah, from and the, such? Yeah, a lot of that. Um, yeah, but like more when it's personal messages sent to me on like Facebook or stuff, um, very what, different. What sort of stuff did you get? Oh, pretty awful stuff. I don't think it should share on air. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we are Jeez. not on air. This is a pre-record, so. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, no, we, we haven't uh, we we, we, we haven't mentioned it so far. But to all those uh, five people listening at home, <laughs> we're not even we couldn't even be bothered to come into the studio <laughs> at the correct time for this one. So. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> Molly's a very busy lady. So, uh, yeah, this is a pre-recorded one. The first for quite some time, right? We did the we did the first episode pre-recorded, and this must be the first one in like over twenty weeks, right? Yeah, that, that's about right. I think it's it's definitely been a long time. It's a very different energy. Yeah, it's very chill. Yeah, it's a lot more chill. Not not so much pressure. Yeah, don't have the hype of people listening right now. Well, we don't anyway. Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to hear it. <laughs> This I've, is all. This is all jokes. This is all banter. I have no clue how many people listen to this. <laughs> they, they don't tell us. No, no. There's actually no way of knowing. Um, anyway, uh, we understand that you're working on. I feel the, like we should take a break. I feel like we should be playing music <laughs> or something. But there's no. It's just constant flow of uh, conversation. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, we With no natural pauses. We can we can play some music at the end. I reckon. I reckon okay, okay, okay. But um, yeah. What can you actually tell us about Sea Castles? I can tell you a lot. I mean, yeah. it's my film. <laughs> um, so but it's not, it's not released, is it? It's... No, it's not. Okay. Um, yeah, so we started filming at the end of last year and finished pickups, um, started this year. We've been in the editing process um, for pick-ups. a wee while. Yeah, pickup shots. So, like, on the actual shoot weekend itself, we didn't get everything we needed. Um, often you give yourself three days. I thought, oh... Would save some money, try attempt it in two. Obviously didn't work. So mm. did some more filming this year. And um, yeah, so we've got everything. It's in the edit suite at the moment. It's looking really good. Really excited to get it done. We just need to get um, the music going. And then we're going to enter it, enter it into some really big festivals. So see what happens there. It's also been, um, there's also talk at the moment to use it as a climate resource for the new School Leavers Toolkit. Mm. And mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, that's one I'm interested in. How does it intersect with ideas about climate change? Yeah, so the short film follows a young girl called Emma who learns about uh, coastal erosion um, through playing on the beach with her friend Maya. Um, she lives on the uh, parade in Paikokariki uh, with her father and basically um, at the start of the film she overhears her dad talking on the phone about... Uh, the house in itself and how um, the land might not last for a certain amount of time. And this is, she's uh, confused about this and um, her dad goes to these community meetings every Tuesday at the local town hall and she decides to sort of step up, ask questions and sort of try start engaging and, and learning and what's happening. Um, there's like a decent age gap between the lead actress and her best friend. So her best friend sort of knows what's happening in the film and sort of 
guides her through it. But um, yeah, no, mm. it's her, her story of how she comes to terms with um, climate change and okay. losing her, her home that um, yeah, she shares with her dad. Give us an idea of what sort of uh, length we're talking about here. 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Around 12 minutes. Yeah, it might it might cut might be shorter for um, some cuts depending on where that film's going and what hmm. um, where it will be presented. And you are obviously going to submit this to a lot of film festivals. What is that process like? It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. they charge right. They, they charge. They, they charge yeah. not to be accepted, but just to submit. submit oh, that's lame. Yeah. yeah. But I guess if they um, didn't have that fee there, then they would have thousands and thousands of entries every year. But um, we should charge people to come on this show. <laughs> yeah, that I, would that would separate the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd pay <laughs> for your five viewers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh yeah, what was I Sorry, I, keep, I feel like I keep derailing the conversation. <laughs> this wouldn't happen if it was live because... Uh, that, that's why you're on the show, Toby. That's for the, pretty much the spontaneous energy. Um, are film festivals worth the money? Is it actually good exposure? Yeah, well, it depends. But if you get into one, yeah. I mean, there's some pretty incredible film festivals out there. You've got sort of like the A-grade festivals like Cannes and Tribeca and Sundance and Slamdance and stuff. And if you get your film into that, then the film is shared with uh, the film market overseas, which is massive. And um, a lot of the time when a, a youth filmmaker has their first film submitted into a festival, the market sort of like jumps on it and yeah mm. and tries to get more work from that filmmaker and okay. share it. So if you do get into one of these festivals, it's it's pretty incredible exposure mm. for you and your career. Do, do, do many people, um, you know, uh, become famous filmmakers through this path? Yeah, I mean, uh, most people, most people have their breakout um, uh films are celebrated in these festivals and then they get funding for their bigger projects. So it's more of like an exposure type thing to then get money or the support to create something new. Mm. What, uh, what's your most ambitious project? Um, the I thing that you would do if you had infinite budget? Oh, comic, my TV series. Mm. Yeah, I it's written. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to make it. It'd be pretty cool, yeah. But you'd have to like you'd have to get all the all the sets made and all the costumes and like I don't know to 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 to, to do like a something that's set in the seventies. I, I mean, even just the getting the cars and stuff. Yeah, expensive. It's expensive. expensive. Very expensive. So, so what happened as a result of your pitch to Netflix? Did you hear back or is it? No. So the Lane Street Studio um, program basically they train you up and practice you to do these pitches, and then you sort of stay with the studio and like it, I don't really know how to explain it so they like take you through this development program mm. you do your pitch you are introduced to these incre incredible international producers and filmmakers and funders and then you keep these connections and you build them kind of thing and oh, so it's a very slow process yeah, yeah. and so yeah. they're there to support you but um, I think that, yeah, the program in itself, like they're running more programs where they've got a new one coming up and you take a idea for a documentary type series and you pitch it at the end of that as well. But they're looking to fund a series for that program. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, incredible opportunities. But yeah, it's more of a networking type experience. Yeah. So, they're kind of vetting you over a long period of time. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Weird to think of it that way, but yeah. Yeah. 
But no, I have um, sent Comic Off to some other um, funding slash production entities that I can't mm. really talk about who are keen on the script and potentially buying slash working to create it. Okay. Yeah, going back to that um, thing you were saying about film festivals mm-hmm. and most breakout stars have their films exposed on these festivals, what is the ratio of people who actually have great careers to the ratio of people that even get into these festivals? I mean, is the chance that that will actually kickstart a career, a career exaggerated? Yeah, I I mean, every year festivals can only take so many films. Um, so not many people have the ability to get their work shown um, in these festivals and within the festivals themselves, you know, only two or three films do massive each year and then the market and the funders are like, oh, okay, cool, let's have let's keep an eye on this person. However, the um, film festivals run a lot of um, like emerging filmmakers sort of workshops and like mm. um, programs where they take talent who have presented their work in their festivals and train them up over the year to create a film for the next year's festival. Oh. So you, like Sundance, has um, an incredible program and they support Indigenous filmmakers and young and female and emerging creatives um, to take their work into these development programs and, yeah, they mm. work on them. So I think although your film may not get submitted or accepted into one of these festivals, you do have the ability to go into one of these accelerator sort of projects. Yeah. Um, okay. We've talked a lot about opportunities for young filmmakers, but what about challenges for people of your age who are making films in New Zealand, for example? What are things that people find challenging? I think that industry in itself and the funding bodies that um, we've got in Aotearoa don't necessarily give money easily out to younger people. You need to sort of prove your worth that mm. you can make a film and get it out to the world before you can get any sort of funding. So um, me and my friend Cassia have put together a group called uh, Wellington. It's basically a Wellington group for young um, female and non-binary film creators who want to um, support each other and grow their network. So we've got, I think there's 150 people in our group now and basically we run events and stuff where um you can go and then network with other Wellington film creators who are a lot further up in their careers mm. and, um, yeah, get to sort of know them and, like, you know, learn the ins and out of filmmaking because it's it's not easy. It's not easy to get access to a really good camera and, you know, a mm. gear and a team to be able to create what you want to create. Is Is the amount of young people doing film large enough to justify having a group just for female and non-binary creators? Yeah, Wellington, there's a lot of filmmakers in Wellington, um, a lot. I mean, you've got Tiawaha, you've got Massey, you've got Vic, and then you've got Miramar Creative where there's, I, I would say, thousands of young people mm. in the film community. But a lot yeah. of people's voices do get sort of washed out in the young space. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important to be able to have this space where we can support each other and uplift each other to um, mm. create each other's works. Okay. Yeah, what other resources do young people have if they want to become filmmakers? Maybe if they don't have the money or they don't want to get in debt from going to an institution and studying, where can people go? There's nowhere. There <laughs> there really isn't anywhere. You either go into university or you work in like a bar and save enough money to create your own films on the side, then build enough of a profile to then get a 
like a, a shitty job on set or you like work for free on people's sets. Now, hang on, you're not studying film I'm though, not, are you? I'm not studying. I, I'm really lucky because I was able to create a film when I was younger mm. that allowed me to build a decent enough network to start my work at an earlier age. Do, do you think that, uh, you know, uh, film school uh, wouldn't be valuable for you? or I I mean, I any schooling in general is valuable. I feel like I probably would have learned a lot. The, the difference between the film schools are, I mean, mass is a lot more on, on ha- like hands-on and you're like learning how to actually create the films themselves, which yep. is incredibly valuable. Whereas Vic's film program is more learning about the history of films and you're writing mm. essays about films. I think I think that's the general difference between the, the two universities. Um, exactly the In same thing with, with music, you yeah. know, because all the people that we interview on this show who are musicians come from Massey. Massey yeah, yeah. So, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> I personally for myself, I didn't see value in going into film school because I had been creating films for so long. Mm. I thought if I was to go study environmental science and art history, I can bring the stuff that I learned from my degrees mm. and bring it into my filmmaking and hopefully create stories around yeah, environmental issues, which I'm slowly getting there. I'm doing that. Okay. Uh, is, the, is that path of formal education actually worth it? Does that provide a more valuable experience for learning film beyond just the connections that it gives you? Yeah, totally. I mean, studying, studying film at Massey, you're learning how to operate a camera, you're learning how to do sound on set, and those are the skills that are needed in the industry. You're but not, do, do you really need a degree to do that? Surely you can learn this you, stuff online. Yeah, I. it depends. I think for a lot of people coming out of high school, it, you're not going to really want to straight away be like, okay, I'm going to go teach myself this online mm. and then try to get into the industry. When you have the qualification production studios would be like okay yeah they know how to do this let's bring them in and train them up kind of thing but I think it's it is the industry is definitely changing at the moment you've got um production studios like Lane Street running courses to bring up local writers and like Mm. encourage their work into like the mainstream but um yeah it's it will change over the next few years as well I think you'll have a lot more people like me who decide not to go down the studying route and um yeah, yeah, decide to sort of learn the skills on themselves and take it into their own work. Mm. What sort of advice would you offer the young grasshopper filmmakers out there who don't want to go study or can't study? Is there anything you wish you knew? I mean, I guess it's a bit different with you because you started when you were so young, but what sort of advice would you want to impart to younger independent filmmakers? Create your own content and, yeah, just just make everything you can. I mean... You, you aren't, I mean, it's not worth waiting around for a funding body to pick up your idea and be like, okay, I love this, let's create this, because mm. it very rarely happens to anyone. I think it's really important that you, you make your content and you don't allow anyone else to tell you how you want it to be done, because the things that do well are the unique things that haven't been seen before. And I think a lot of young people will go into university thinking that's the right right way to go, and they're creative vision is sort of watered down to the mainstream. And I think it's really awesome that there are young people creating content that's so different to what's out there. And I think it's important to stick to your guns and, yeah, make make what feels right to you. Mm. I mean, over the years, I'm sort of just going off the top of my head, I'm not an expert in film or anything, but it seems like 
technology and the development of technology to be a lot more user-friendly has allowed a lot more independent filmmakers to really thrive. And do you think that will continue in the future? Do you think that filmmaking will become more of a, a people's thing? Totally. I mean, TikTok, take that for example. Like, you have your cell phone in your hand and you can make a short film with, for, like, 30 seconds. Really? You know? are, there, are there good short films on TikTok? It doesn't matter. They do exceptionally well. People around the world <laughs> see them and it influences, like, millions of people. I mean... Yeah, I, I don't know. Is, is is that art though? Yeah, lip syncing Harry Styles. Oh yeah, totally. With your, with your tits out. <laughs> yeah, it's art. I All mean, right. everything's art. Well, well, well. I guess I'm an art connoisseur then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever TikTok yourself? I do actually. I, I is this something that Toby's referencing? Is he referencing no, something you've made? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I just, I, no, I do not. Throw your handle out there for, for the folks at home. Uh, I actually don't know. I think it's Molly got a TikTok account. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment, please. I don't, I don't even post anything. I sort of just use it to watch my friends' stuff. And um, mm. maybe occasionally I'll chuck out the random dancing video with my mates drunk at a party or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we talk about the um, uh, environmentalism stuff? Yeah, let's. Uh, so how did you get involved uh, originally with the um, student climate strike? So at the start of 2019, I'd just come back from an exchange and I had applied to be a part of organising committee for the Climate Challenge Conference and I got the call like the day before I was leaving my exchange in Norway and I came back and I jumped straight into this like hooey where we were organising this incredible conference. We had Jane Goodall and like some incredible speakers and stuff. Whoa. Yeah, and from that I learned about the skill strike movement that was just starting up and at that point in time it was just Sophie Hanford and a couple people from Carpety College and um, yeah, I jumped on board and from then I sort of, yeah, I don't know how I fell into the role of media and comms, um, just sort of came naturally and uh, yeah, I've spent 2019 pouring most of my energy into that movement and mm. um, it was pretty hectic. Yeah. So I, I remember the, the first one that I went to well uh, I think it was the first one that they had in Auckland because it was the same day as the terrorist attack. Terrorist yeah. attack in Christchurch. Yeah, it was a and my little brother's birthday. Right, so it was a pretty awful day. Three events of uh, I think equal historical importance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah, it, that day was pretty. Um, yeah, pretty intense. I think we were just wrapping up the Wellington strike when we heard what was happening down in Christchurch. Oh, because they, 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 they were doing it all simultaneously. Yeah, so right. there was a strike down at Christchurch um, during the same time and our whole team who were um, leading that one um, went and um, they had to be in lockdown. But, yeah, it was a pretty scary day. We took a decent break after that just to sort of support our local community and allow everyone to sort of get back on their feet again. But... Yeah, it was it was after organising and being quite tired for a long time. Yeah, it was oh, it was awful. Mm. Mm. Well, you've tackled all these political issues in your filmmaking. Is there any desire to tackle the issue of racism in New Zealand and that sort of whole unspoken yeah, I, undercurrent? I think for me, I'd prefer to pour my energy in supporting... Um, other people's films around it. Um, I 
like obviously I do my best to be an active ally and um, understand racism in Aotearoa and around the world. But I think as a white woman, I should be uplifting and supporting other people's voices more than, um, yeah, writing my own films about it because I haven't had that experience yeah. that a lot of people have had. By that logic, what gives you the right to talk about climate change? I Everyone's affected by climate change at the moment, but I, with this film, I was really careful working to do, uh, working around a topic that is affecting local communities in Aotearoa as well. I, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important that we're uplifting Indigenous communities and opening the floor for conversations where, um, yeah, they're able to speak their truth. Mm. Just going off what Toby was saying, you also got the film Hattie's Elderly Hour in the works, and that's about Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what inspired that uh, piece of filmmaking and, you know, what what made you feel, like, personally invested in that issue enough? Yeah, so film about it. I know a few people who have been affected by Alzheimer's um, and I, uh, summer of 2020, I spent um, living with my grandparents in the Wairarapa in Martinborough and I most days would go down to the local swimming pool and I sort of grew up at that swimming pool and um, yeah, the story follows this older lady who has Alzheimer's and uh, the introduction of a swimming hour for um, elderly people and basically... Uh, the kids, yeah, the kids don't like this hour and sort of protest it and they sort of learn why and, yeah, it's it's a whole ordeal. But um, I just sort of combined a bunch of my own experiences at that point in time and wrote this script. Um, yeah, that Alzheimer's isn't really a disease that is explored much in media as well. And it affects so many people globally. And I mm. think it's a conversation that younger people are also excluded from a lot. Mm. Yeah, I asked my granddad if anybody in our history um, had ever had Alzheimer's and he said, not that I can remember. <laughs> That's not even a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, did he, I'm surely he would know people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, had just, you? Just, just ignore me. Just ignore me. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you secretly have people in your family who had... I mean, not, not that I'm aware of, but it does affect a lot of people. It does. Mm. Yeah, the cool thing is with that short as well, we've got Alzheimer's New Zealand support and they're really keen. They love the story and they think it's really important to have young... Yeah, the, film, the film itself is from the viewpoint of a young child um, and obviously he's never been exposed to the disease before or understands what... Mm. is happening to this elderly woman um so he's yeah it's his process and i think that's that's not at all seen in the media mm. I, I think that sort of experience can be especially jarring for very young people who see that in their elderly grandparents i was just yeah. remembering that someone i was doing a documentary film class with he wrote a short story about that exact situation about him interacting with his granddad or was a story about a boy based off his own experience interacting with his granddad and he starts to forget who he is yeah so um it's really difficult for young people and especially children as well because mm. they don't they don't understand what's happening and i think hetty's elderly hour is written to sort of explain alzheimer's disease as well in a sort of more watered down way that children can process and understand mm. um the lifeguard 
ends up talking to the kids about the disease and why it's important for Hetty to go swimming. Um, and yeah, the film follows the elderly woman as she was a swimmer when she was younger and basically something that sort of keeps her going and physically, you know, fit is the, the muscle memory of swimming. Mm. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, how, how much is that film personally directed towards younger people who may not understand it? Or is it just for everyone or is it specifically for those young kids who may not? It is for everyone, but it's specifically more for younger kids to mm. watch, to be able to learn. I, yeah. I guess a lot of my films I sort of write in a way that can be a resource for people who don't understand what's happening to have a better understanding or sort of start questioning things a bit differently. Mm. Okay, yeah. So there's this whole thing with activism and filmmaking, but also education and yeah. filmmaking. That's I think quite well, important. Yeah, ac- activism is in education. Mm. And like yeah. getting the masses to sort of understand a certain viewpoint or topic. Yeah, also dealing with issues involving mental health and, and diseases, that's probably a topic that has to be treated with some discretion. Yeah. You know, people are always talking about depictions of mental illness and things like suicide and movies and it's it's always hard to get a balance of yep. of showing it accurately and showing how bad it is and also not glorifying it exactly that's why we've um with this film Hetty's out of the hour we've decided to work with alzheimer's new zealand to make sure we have the right right representation in the film and they're keen to work throughout the process of filming as well to make sure the actor fully understands um yeah everything and what they're actually mm. representing because it it is a pretty awful disease and it yeah, affects so many people on such um, large scales. Mm. Yeah. What sort of stuff have you learned so far, if, if anything? A lot, a yeah. lot, yeah. I mean, to, to write the character itself, I've decided to do like a lot of research into the disease. And um, yeah, I think a lot of that will be then passed over to the actor and notes for like, yeah, I, Alzheimer's is different for everyone. There's different forms of it as well. You know, the character itself, Hetty, has dementia, so forgets what um, happens in their um, day-to-day life. So, mm. yeah, it's... It, 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 the thing is as well with a disease like Alzheimer's, I mean, that is the umbrella term for three different types of um, diseases, but we do follow dementia, so it's more of a, a, a memory type thing, but that does affect muscle memory and it affects body movements as well. So mm. it's, yeah... It, it's it's interesting to write into a script because talking to people with experience um, is different for everyone. Mm, okay. So we have four minutes left of the local culture show. And to wrap things up, I, I was wondering, it, it seems like you're, ta- you're tackling a lot of different issues. You know, left, right and centre, you're doing stuff about climate change and gender equality and Alzheimer's. Is there one area that you think you might explore further or do you want to continue tackling a lot of different issues in different ways? I think in the future, the films that... I, I guess the films that I make sort of um, tend to be focused around whatever's influencing me at that point in time. Mm. Like, I, if I feel very strongly about something and I have an idea for a script, I'll write it and I'll create it. Um but yeah, and I guess in the future, I I really do want to dive into more documentary filmmaking around environmental issues. Like I am doing a degree in environmental science, and I want to be able to um, articulate that through film as well. So, um, yeah, projects. Mm. You're going to be a sort of uh, modern day El Gore. We'll see. <laughs> now I'll be the first Molly Doyle, I think. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah. Nice, nice. That's a nice way of looking at things. <laughs> um, do you think you might tackle some stuff that is not connected to any political issue? A story that's just really personal and about people and person to person sort of totally. sort of thing. I've I've got a few scripts lying around that I haven't yet had the time to make, but yeah, they're more personal stories of just like human connection and um, human connection with artworks and that mm. type of stuff. Okay. And where can listeners at home find you online to follow what you're up to? I'm the most active on my Instagram, which is molly underscore doyle underscore kr, but I've also got a website, mollydoylefilms.com. And, um, yeah, my TikTok account. <laughs> yeah, the TikTok account. Remind yeah. us. Molly got, Molly, a, Molly got a TikTok Molly account. Molly got a TikTok. Yeah. Check it out. Are there any uh, other promising young filmmakers that you want to shout out or people should check out? Uh, so many. Um, now, off the top of my head, like my good mate Cassia Walton, incredible. Um, all the youth who go through the Outlook for Someday program and make films there, that's an awesome space. Mm. Um, so definitely go check out those films. They tackle some pretty incredible Well, topics. what films? Where can people find these films? How, what would you search? The Outlook for Someday's website. Um, okay. They, ha- they fund like six films each year of incredible youth filmmakers mm. and they've got some pretty epic stories to tell. So, um, yeah, go check those out. Support your local filmmakers and, yeah, share their films, share their content and be kind. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for listening to the Arts and Aotearoa show. <laughs> Just change it midway through the show. Mm? Don't worry. Uh, thanks for listening to the Local Culture Show on Wellington Access Radio. <laughs> my name is Solomon. And my name is Toby. And we were joined today by a wonderful filmmaker who goes by Molly Doyle. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.